look at that strategic plan. You look at the things you said you really need to accomplish and you look at other supporting documents in the organization. What is your mission? What is your vision? What is your DEI commitment? Those kinds of things that also impact the work that you do. Review all of those things and identify the skills that your people are going to need to be successful. And start with skills. Skills is always the driver for any kind of training if you want to see a behavior change. So identify the skills that are going to be needed to deliver on that strategic plan and continue on with your mission, vision, and DEI commitment. And then compare those skills to your learner's current skill set. So where are they now? And where do you need them to be? And that change, that shift, that gap is what you want to focus on to make the training relevant. My guest today on Mission Impact is Heather Burray. Heather and I talk about how strategic planning, implementation, and staff and volunteer skills development all fit together. Implementation planning and support can often be the missing link to really make a strategic plan come to life and be useful and relevant to an organization. A plan gets done, but if those big goals and initiatives are not integrated into the regular work of the organization, then the plan can sit on the proverbial shelf. And when organizations don't commit to integrating, reviewing, and updating the plan on a regular basis and make it part of their regular practices, it can go by the wayside. I appreciated Heather's point about looking at the plan, not just from the point of view of who's going to do what by when, or from the point of view of budget implications, but also what are the skills that those putting the plan into action are going to need to make it a reality? Then, with those skills in mind, where are people now and where do they need to be in the future? I don't think many organizations are taking the time to think about this piece, and it's certainly something I'll be bringing forward in the future when I have the chance to work with organizations on their strategic plan implementation planning. And on this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting brings you whole brain strategy consulting for nonprofits and associations. We help you move your mission forward, engage all voices, and have fun while we're doing it. We combine left brain strategy and analysis with right brain wisdom about human complexities for a proven whole brain, whole organization process through which every stakeholder thrives. Reach out to us for support and facilitation of strategic planning, mapping your impact, auditing your services for mission alignment, and getting an organizational assessment. We especially love working with staffed, nonprofits and associations with human-centered missions. Today, Heather and I are doing a little bit of an experiment with this episode. Our conversation is appearing on Mission Impact, as you can hear, and also on Heather's podcast, Learning for Good. I'm looking forward to listening to Heather's version and hearing what she took away from our conversation. Well, Heather, I'm curious, what drew you to the work that you do? What would you say motivates you and what would you describe as your why? Yeah, so I am motivated by a few core beliefs. Um, I believe that people excel when they know what is expected of them and they can show up authentically at work. 
I believe people are worthy of investment and I believe investing in your people makes them feel valued and gives them new skills and a new passion for their work. And I believe organizations are better when they empower their people to operate from their strongest capabilities. And so that's why I personally work relentlessly to create dynamic people-centric solutions for nonprofits and associations. I want the solutions to be both strategic, supporting the organization, but also compassionately human-centered, supporting the people themselves. And I want non nonprofits and associations at the end of the day to have exactly what they need to support their people and move their mission forward. I love that uh, combination between the strategic and the human-centered. That's definitely something that I'm always aiming for as well. Um, yeah. Sorry, really we'll be the last amazing. time you hear that. <laughs> <laughs> enabling people to uh you know well I, I don't know whether it's bringing your whole self to work but bringing whatever part of yourself that you want to to work and then being fully supported in in what you're being asked to do absolutely um but carol i'd love to hear a little bit about you too um tell me a little bit about i generally ask about people's career journey but share a little bit about your journey to where you are how you ended up here and why you do what you do yeah. Um, so after college, I worked at an organization that helped people get on talk shows, but we did it for all comers. And so quickly after that, I, I decided I really wanted to, if I was going to be doing something like that, and I, wa I wanted to do it for organizations that I, I supported the mission of, and so shifted into the nonprofit um, sector and worked for a variety of organizations over the course of my career with, with those human-centered missions. And I continue to really enjoy working with organizations that center education and and you know helping people thrive in their in their human capacity and but over time just became more and more interested in um really what helps organizations work more effectively so that we can really move that mission forward uh, strategically and so um, over the last several years, I've been a consultant, consulting to, to nonprofits and associations, helping them with um, strategy, strategic planning, mapping their impact, um, doing audits of their services, and then also organizational assessments. And I really enjoy doing all of those things to, again, try to help the organization hone in on what's what's really their core competency so that they can... Um, be less stressed as they try to move their mission forward. <laughs> That's always a good thing, right? A little less stress that <laughs> never hurt anybody. Um, so I love what you do. I think that what we do complements each other so well. Uh, you really help the organization um, set that strategy, be really clear about what they're trying to accomplish and do so, like you said, in a more effective way, hopefully a, a, a stress free or at least less stressful way. Probably and, not stress-free. <laughs> right. At least less stressful. That's that's the goal. Um, and so then I help organizations take that strategic plan, prepare their people to implement. And so we're so complimentary in our work. And I love that. Um, I know you mentioned that one of the things you do is the strategic planning process. What are some of the challenges that you see when it comes to actually implementing that strategic plan after it gets created? Yeah, and I think those challenges are part of the reason that strategic planning gets a little bit of a bad rap. People are always like, oh, we went through that whole process and then the plan just sat on the shelf or 
probably more appropriately now today, you know, sat in a Google Drive or sat in a Dropbox folder and never was referred to. And I think it's that that moving from the the process to then how are we putting in this into practice? How are we actually going to implement? And um, you know, so I think uh making that translation, taking the time to think about how are we going to bring this into our regular planning processes, into our regular meetings? What's the cadence that we're going to be doing that? All of those kinds of things, um, asking those questions and and having a, a plan to implement um, really supports an organization making the most of the time that they've spent together to identify what's really important for them to move their mission forward over the next couple of years. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You do all the work. A lot of the focus at the time is on the plan. But right. if there's not a plan to then implement the plan, if it's not then integrated into your existing plans, processes, then it makes that sense integration that it's piece. Right. Yeah, I think the integration is really the key thing. It's like, how are you integrating it into how you regularly work um, rather than thinking of it as something special? Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what do you recommend for nonprofits to kind of overcome that? Or what have you seen them do in the past? Yeah, a couple different things. I think the first is um, for that implementation plan, being realistic about the time frame. So your 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 bigger plan may be that you know medium term time frame of three to five years, but the implementation plan really needs to be a shorter time frame. It could be six months, it could be a year. It really depends on the organization and its cycles and and what makes sense. And then for that plan, that's where. Um, I recommend that people get into the real nitty gritty of who does what by when and how, um, all of those kinds of things, because you, you, so that year one or year six, first six months, um, you're, you're getting into those details, planning that out, and then having a process to say, okay, we've, we've come to the end of this time period. What did we actually manage to accomplish? What do we still need to do? What is less relevant or what might need some tweaking? Um, what have we done that we didn't expect to do? And so asking those questions on a regular cadence and having a way to track and 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 keep the date, the then do the next six months or the next year implementation plan um, where you get into that nitty gritty. Because I think one of the challenges is when organizations try to nail everything down for that entire period. And so they're trying to, you know, and that's where it starts end up ending up feeling a little ridiculous of like, we can't actually predict what's going to be happening three years from now. So don't, I say, don't waste your time trying to nail that down in terms of the, the specifics. Yeah, that makes sense. When you put it into that detail of a plan, you have uh, something that you can, that can help guide you as you're implementing. But like you said, it also allows you to go back and track so that you can kind of see, am I on the right track? Are there things I need to adjust? And doing that in those smaller increments makes a lot of sense. Have you found that nonprofits have a lot of success with that? Yeah, I think when they're able to make a regular practice of it, um, kind of know what's expected at that check-in, um, do that within their regular uh, meetings, whether it's a staff meeting or at a regular cadence at a board meeting and or both, you know, knowing what part of the plan is the board is responsible for, what part of the plan is, is staff driven. Um, and then just having having someone be the champion to kind of make sure that they're doing that as well. All of those things really help. Um, and then 
realizing that it's not just about checking off what you've done or doing, you know, I've seen a lot of groups have kind of that uh, green light, yellow light, red light of like where things are in terms of progress, but also having those questions in mind so that you are making those adjustments that need that as, as needed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So part of going into implementation, sometimes there's a new initiative or something that really needs some extra support for an organization to really make it happen. Um, you work with uh, creating training for nonprofits and association members. How do you see training actually supporting the implementation of a strategic plan? Yeah, so I typically look at kind of a three-pronged approach, and it, it does all go back to making it strategic and compassionately human-centered, as I said in the beginning. It's very, very important to me. So the three-pronged approach that I typically take is you want to make it relevant, you want to make it meaningful, and you want to make it fun. And I'm going to define what I mean by those because some people probably just went, fun? What? So I think it's important that we define each of those. So the first was make it relevant. And that to me is where you really go back and you look at that strategic plan. You look at the things you said you really need to accomplish. Um, and you look at other kind of supporting documents in the organization. What is your mission? What is your vision? Um, you know, what is your DEI commitment? Those kinds of things that also impact the work that you do. Review all of those things and identify the skills that your people are going to need to be successful. And start with skills. Skills is always the, the kind of the driver for any kind of training if you wanna see a behavior change. So identify the skills that are going to be needed to deliver on that strategic plan and continue on with your mission, vision, and DEI commitment. And then compare those skills to your learner's current skill set. So where are they now and where do you need them to be? And that change, that shift, that gap is what you wanna focus on to make the training relevant. The next piece was to make it meaningful. And so this, again, it is a little bit more of that compassionately human-centered piece. If it's relevant, it will already be it will already be, be meaningful, right? Because it's going to impact them in their role and their job. Um, but you also want to take the time to build cross-functional relationships, trust, psychological safety, all of those kind of foundational things that need to exist in the organization for the change to be and any sort of opportunity that you have to bring people together, whether virtually or in person, is an opportunity to build those cross-functional relationships, to build that trust, and to build that psychological safety. So yes, there are self-paced training options out there, but a lot of, a lot of nonprofits and associations are running in-person or virtual uh, gatherings as their training option. And so there is a huge opportunity to build that trust during that time. And then the last is to make it fun. And again, I use that word, I kind of laugh every time I say it, uh, because sometimes people think about forced fun, which is not very fun. But what I mean by that is to do something unexpected within the experience, design that training so that there is something unexpected so that they remember what they are learning. And you can do that in a variety of different ways. Um, I've certainly used improv in a very light way it can be intimidating for somebody who is not used to improv right but if you do it in a very light way uh, then it can be fun for people and it is memorable for people you can use um, outside tools 
like um, Kahoot brings in a game experience, or you could use Mural or Miro where they're working together collaboratively in a different way, right? There are different things you can do, different elements you can bring in to make it unexpected, to make it just a little bit playful. And then they're gonna remember what they're learning and be better able to actually change that behavior, bring the skills that you need them to bring in order to execute on that strategic plan. I love all the parallels between the actual planning process. I always want it to be for people to tell me that it was fun, that they it was unexpected to them because they might have been dreading a strategic planning process. But what you described in terms of kind of the relevance, meaningfulness, and then fun, um, and that gap between, okay, what are the skills at the individual level? What are the skills that are needed for this initiative? And then at the individual level, for me, there's a lot of like, when you look at that gap, it, essentially, it's what the whole group has done as a cross-functional group through the planning process. So when I'm working with with groups, I really want them to have, um, you know, not have it just be a top-down kind of process, but really have it be a whole organization process. And you know, in in some cases, when the organization is really large, that might be a slice of the organization. So people kind of representing the various constituencies and levels and and stakeholder groups. Um, but then you are looking at what is the current state? Where are we right now and where do we want to be? And what's going to, what's the gap in between? What do we need to do? So there's so many parallels. And then, um, with what you were describing in terms of training and how that can really support, um, the plan moving forward and the actual planning process. Cause one of the things that I always hear from clients is that, you know, by bringing people together, getting, mixing them up into different groups. There's all sorts of other benefits that come out of the planning process because people get to know each other, get to understand their work better. But I really feel like um, thinking about what the skills that are going to be needed in a plan is probably a missing piece that very few organizations are actually looking at. Yeah, I I would agree. I think there are, I have seen strategic plans where there is a people component um, kind of baked into it, which is amazing. So fun to see. Uh, but even if there's not, there's probably something in there that's going to require something different of your people. And if that's the case, there is always room for skill development. Yeah, oftentimes the people piece is right. You know, we want to we want to have a thriving, uh, healthy organizational culture. Um, but really getting into what do people need to be able to know how to do to make this a reality. Um, oftentimes another goal might be something around, you know, fundraising or working on board development. And all of those things end up, um, you know, clarifying roles and responsibilities, it, depending on what the stage of the organization is, you know, kind of where they are in their, the life cycle of the nonprofit um, can all be different. But I love the piece about really honing in and probably because I came out of a learning background <laughs> before I did this work. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I always have people do is make sure that we cannot have an action step without an action verb. <laughs> it's like doing yes. learning objectives. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. You know, I agree there. <laughs> yeah, so can, have you seen, um, when have you seen organizations uh, kind of take that next step of doing that analysis of the skills and, you know, what are the competences competencies that we have now and what do we need to be able to move folks forward to be able to actually get this plan done? Yeah, I love it when an organization brings me in at that point in the process 
<coughs> excuse me, um, because it really does set you up for success. Like you said, they're coming out of the strategic planning process where they've been really collaborative, hopefully, and they've been hearing from people and they've been kind of taking a different approach to, to their work in some cases. And then coming right behind that and saying, now let's do the same thing for your people. It's just a nice flow and it sets people up for, for success from the very beginning. So I have seen organizations do that and that I love that. Um, I think a lot of times it's a little bit later down the line when they realize they need to, they're ready to scale a program or a service or launch something new. And they realize there's going to be a gap uh, in, in their people being able to implement that thing. And um, so it's a little bit later in the process. It's a little bit harder to go back and really capture that analysis and the energy that's already coming out of that strategic planning process. So I've seen it both ways. It's still doable uh, the other way. If it's a little bit later in the process, it's definitely still doable. Um, it just might feel a little bit like you're taking a couple steps back before you can move forward. And I feel like for me, as I think about, you know, projects moving forward, as I help or, uh, organizations um, kind of map out that implementation plan, you know, certainly coming out of this conversation, one of the things that I'll be adding is, well, what are the skills that, that are needed to move this forward uh, and help people even think, you know, start to think about it? Because I, I I think it's um, not necessarily a top of mind conversation for most folks. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things we're talking about training today, but one of the things that I do is uh, custom competency models. And that's a great time when you're getting ready to implement a new strategic plan. That's a great time to either create or revisit your existing competency model because you are able to say, okay, this is where we're headed. And these are the skills that we need people to have in order to achieve that. And uh, this is what that looks like, that one skill, right? One skill can look different um, to different people or in different roles. And so a competency model allows you to define what that skill is going to look like at various levels in the organization. And then you can build your entire um, learning strategy around that competency model, which is built around where you're headed as an organization. And I've seen those on the association side built for the field, but I've rarely seen them built for the people inside the organization. Yeah, they work well in both scenarios. And for smaller organizations, what are some ways that they could tackle this that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a level of sophistication and resources that you need to be able to do some of those things. Are there some kind of smaller chunks that they could uh, bite off to, to, uh, to get started? Yeah, I actually, and this might be contrary to what other people would recommend, but I actually would recommend a competency model for a smaller to smaller organization, as long as they have, you know, staff in place or a set of volunteers in place, um, because it does define the skills. You can always go and look for off-the-shelf um, training to help develop a particular skill. But if you don't know which skills you need, then buying a particular training isn't going to be all that helpful. <laughs> so um, while a larger organization might say, we want the custom competency model and we want the custom training because we're going to be training hundreds of staff over the next year or whatever the case is, um, a smaller organization taking the time to identify what those skills are that are going to be needed will allow them to be um, more particular, more strategic in what professional development they invest in in the future. 
Yeah, and if you want to start without, with not have to start with a blank page, um, what's coming to mind for me is the uh, standards of excellence for nonprofit organizations, where you have a an entire comprehensive set of standards. Um, you know, a few organizations go through the full accreditation process. A lot of other organizations use it as kind of a an assessment of where they are and and would help them pull out those without out those uh, competencies. So that you're not having to, you know, figure it out. You definitely, there's, there's nothing, especially for smaller organizations, there's, there's very little that hasn't been done before. So don't, don't feel like you have to go it alone or, um, you know, start from scratch. Yeah, absolutely. So what final words of advice for nonprofits creating training to support uh, strategic planning implementation, implementation do you have? Yeah, so I think the first, and we've talked about it a little bit um, already, is listen to your people. Um, so if you're going to be creating training to support strategic plan implementation, you have to know um, where your people are and where they need to go. So talking to senior leaders, asking supervisors, holding focus groups with the staff that are going to be impacted by the change, and really listening is a great way to understand what the gap is um, that you're going to need to fill. And then the second piece is remember the change component of this. Uh, if you are doing anything different, there is a change and there's always something different in the strategic plan, right? So tap into people's motivations. Why do they care? Why would they even want to make this change, behavior change, whatever it is? Make sure they have the skills, which is where the training helps, and then surround them with the resources that they need to be successful. Yeah. And again, there's so many um, parallels to uh, the actual planning process of, you know, starting, not starting small, starting larger, where you're really listening and hearing from, um, you know, mapping out that that uh, map of stakeholders and constituencies that you have, and then getting that input from them, feel it, figuring out how to pull their voices together so that you can, um, you know, make some decisions about what you need to do moving forward. People hesitate around change or are, you know, at the top can feel like they've they've communicated enough times around the thing but um and then i think there's a lot of uh, uh it can be a little become a little bit of us and them of the people who want the thing the people who are quote unquote resistors and and it goes back to listening to hearing really what is getting in their way what 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 is you know what hesitancies do they have so that that can be integrated into how you're supporting them with the resources that you were talking about yeah absolutely part of surrounding them with resources is absolutely removing barriers so you have to understand what they're experiencing um in order to really make those changes happen but Carol, I'm curious, any words of advice uh, from you? Any final words, I guess, of advice for nonprofits undergoing the strategic planning process? Yeah, I think, you know, the the starting starting with uh, the whole organization and really thinking about how the whole organization is contributing to the planning process. And I think that that also supports implementation because when people have been part of the process, they see themselves in it. They, they understand why decisions were made a certain way. They're more ready to you know, kind of roll up their sleeves and get ready to uh, put the put the plan into action. And so um, while leaders can feel, might feel a little uh, 
intimidated by, well, if it's, you know, just this huge cacophony of voices, how are we going to actually make decisions? But there are ways, you know, through a good facilitated process to ensure that you have a succinct plan at the end and, and folks know what they need to do. Absolutely. And I definitely see that in the needs analysis side on co uh, competency models and training as well. So like you said, there's just so much um, overlap in the way that we work, the process that we mm -hmm. um, use, and then um, so much good complementary um, pieces to it as well, starting with that strategic plan and then moving into what do our people need to be able to implement that. Yeah, Carol, it's sure. been so fun to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. And talk about change. You're going to be helping me uh, tweak my practice in terms of um, working with organizations in in that implement in that implementation planning phase. I love it. I appreciate I love that. It. Well, thank you. Thanks, Carol. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Heather, her full bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. And I'd like to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Rivera-Grazer of 100 Ninjas for her production support. Mission Impact is brought to you by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector brings you whole brain strategic planning, mapping for impact, mission alignment audits for nonprofits and associations. Take a minute to rate and review Mission Impact on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps other people find the podcast, and we really appreciate it. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact. <laughs>